Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And we have four children. We're married. We live in Montana. And we just bought a bus. School bus. School bus. Technically, we didn't. My parents own it. Your parents did? Yeah. But, but I think we intend gonna, to, yeah. to adopt it. Or, or finish it up, pay and your dad for it. Make it our own. Yeah, so our plans might have changed. I think the plan is... The bus is just in such fantastic shape, and it's re- just ready to build, that we could get started with our plans next spring instead of six years from now, five years from now, with the Spartan. And it didn't stress you out nearly as much. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to finish the subfloor in the Spartan, and then flip it around and sell it. Hopefully sell it. Hopefully sell it. And in the meanwhile, I just put the finished cushions... I recovered the cushions for our pop-up because we're crazy and we now have three options right now. <laughs> I just put the cushions in there because I finished them the last one on Sunday night. I did the last one. Had a little mix-up. Could have finished it Saturday night, but because of the mix-up, I had to do one final one on Sunday. Because what do we do on Saturday? Seems like we had a... Some sort of deadline. Oh, you guys were coming home from getting the bus. We got the bus in Laramie. So we had dinner. Yeah. So anyway, the cushion covers are done. A number of you guys have asked me for the tutorial I used for it. I think I've sent it to JR to put in the link in the show notes. The tutorial I used for the cushion covers. It was in a previous like episode's show notes. I don't but, remember what episode, though. Um, but it was all told. It was a great tutorial. It got me through all of them. And... Now I get to move on to curtains. Yes, and it's black. Our pop-up trailer is black. Because JR and I are weird nerds and just didn't want a cream-colored pop-up like all the others on the market. And we like to drive death down the highway. <laughs> I did notice. Did you notice that your dusty handprints really oh, show it's, on it? Oh, yeah. It's going to get so dirty. It'll probably, hopefully all the paint doesn't come off on the first wash, but yeah. we'll see. Whatever. I just don't really care. Oh, well. Lot. There is... On the way to driving the kids to their Audubon science class, there is a... It's not teardrop, but it's not tall enough for a person to stand up in. A trailer that's painted flat black, and then it just has like spray paint brown and green swirls on it to make it look kind of camo. It's so ghetto. That's but awesome. I see it and I think of us. That's <laughs> hilarious. If the, if the black itself doesn't work out, we just need to get a couple cans of spray paint and make it look like a camo. Or I'll just wait until the paint starts to fade and chip, and then I'll clear coat it and make call it patina or something. Right. Yeah, right. Speaking so of Audubon, my... Our kids found a dead bird in my parents' yard the other day, and after their their bird class, which is actually kind of cool, CSI dead the dead CSI well, class. yeah the 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 dead animal CSI class that they finished, and now they've moved on to birds, bugs, and bats, and it's actually kind of cool because there's an osprey nest on the grounds, and every time we drive past it, they're like eagle eyes to see if the osprey is at its nest so it's kind of cool like they're getting way more excited about bird watching than i ever have so i feel in terms of bang for the buck this class i feel like a very successful homeschool mom because my kids are developing these weird passions like bird watching and it's 
despite me and with very minimal effort of mine. So it's just like a win-win-win all around. Well done. Yeah. I'm really happy with how this class <laughs> experiment has turned out for us. Uh, but anyway, like so the it. dead bird in, in Grandpa and Grandma's yard, they're examining it and they're trying to figure out how it died. And the the best thing they could come up with was... We know a cat didn't kill it because we know what it looks like when our cat kills birds. <laughs> Missing the, heads. Yeah, the, wings. Ca- the birds are a lot more mangled than this one is. I suspected that it had been shot by a pellet gun because it was not a. By Grandpa Jim. Well, I wasn't going to call him out, but yeah. He, it was a grackle. And grackles are. Aren't they also they, called. They clean their poop out of their nests. But with they're also their called mouths. something else. I don't know. They clean their poop out of their nests with their mouths. And then they spit it on windows and or things people. like that. Or, yeah, or nasty birds. In, in my parents' old house on the pool cover, and the poop would throw off the chemical uh, balance in the pool. And my parents, until they figured out what was causing it, had to drain the pool like three times one summer because of, they found out eventually, because of grackle poop on the pool they're cover. Just a, they're just a common blackbird. Just a common blackbird. And a really obnoxious one. Yeah. So, anywho, dead bird. Yes, dead bird, camp trailer, bus. What color should we paint the bus? I was thinking we should paint it. I don't know. You know I'm partial to, like, aqua. Like, aqua and light and white. Or aqua and green. You don't want a black bus? No, I don't want a black bus. Okay. We'll have to figure out what color. Because, well, it's, you know, we here's the cool part, you guys. Like, it's ready to build. So, we could actually, if building prices come down, we could actually build it out this winter in your dad's shop heated shop and then it'll be ready to go for spring so when you do your annual cane box thing in new jersey we'll we just drive just drive the whole family out there that'd be super fun do all sorts of interesting things and see yeah. interesting people along the way so i was uh we dropped it off at a friend's house and he's uh one of the guys uh in his we got lots of friends we do trade for anyway these guys build log homes and their son is a professional diesel mechanic but he also runs helps run the log home business plans to take it over from his dad anyway he's looking at the at the bus he's like man this thing's got a really nice cummins motor how many miles on i'm like 179 he's like this thing will drive longer this thing will go for longer than you want to drive it and then he he crawls underneath he's hey you got an allison transmission in this (laughs) he's like so uh he's like this is a fantastic shape so i'm pretty excited about that we're gonna it's not a it's not a short bus but it's an eight window mid-size bus so it's like a smaller mid-size bus there'll be 20 feet of living area you guys i think i'm gonna put the rooftop tent on top of the bus with a deck maybe with a deck yeah i'll have to make room for an ac <laughs> unit somewhere oh that's right because we do need an air conditioner up there yeah otherwise it'll be hot and i don't want to be hot like that kind of hot okay exciting it is. It's also kind of oh, tiring. We're also moving to, it looks like we're going to move to Tuesdays. On hopefully recording. on recording the show. So you guys can look forward to new episodes on Wednesday morning. Um, we, it's kind of coming down to Lily's bread company. So we've got this little teeny tiny bread, fun fam, friends and family sourdough bread operation that our eight year old daughter started. And we've had enough interest now that we kind of need, like, I think this last time we made, we made like eight loaves last time. We kind of need a dedicated afternoon. It was only five. Five. It seemed like a lot. But we need like a dedicated afternoon to bake all the loaves. And so with the delivery schedule on Thursday night and Friday, it just made sense to do bread on Thursdays and podcast on Tuesdays. So here we go. We are really busy. It feels like it. 
Yeah, I'm also trying to cram in our last couple of weeks of school into. How are the kids doing? Weeks. Are they even remotely on target, or are they behind, or are they ahead? No, I feel like so we do my father's world, you guys, and it's I like it a lot because in the stage of life I'm in, I don't have the energy to research all the different options. There are a couple of things that I have subbed out, but for the most part, I order a $600 package from my father's world and I open it and I'm ready to go for the year. I don't, I, the only thing I have to add on to it, let me think about this. Well, I add on a couple things. I don't use their spelling program. I use an app. I don't use their math program. They recommend one that I didn't think I would like very much and they don't sell it directly through them anyway. And then foreign language, we do Spanish just out of my head because I speak Spanish and so uh, so for the most part, it's an open and go social studies, English. The art I don't love, but I use it because it came with the curriculum. But I open it and it says, read these books on this day. Uh, go through this Bible passage with your kids because it kind of corresponds to the period in biblical history and world history that we're working through. So read this Bible passage, work through these Greek roots, and it's everything is just literally in this nice little grid, and I just have to know what week I'm on and what day of the week it is. But I'm... So I feel like they lighten up towards the end of the year. I've also left behind doing their science because our kids get two hours a week of this great hands-on homeschool science class. So I haven't been doing the science, which makes things easier for me because that's one less topic that I have to actually teach them. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I make their daily lists and their spiral round notebooks. I have to do a couple of things with them. And they're plug and play if they're feeling motivated to be. Back in my day, we had Bob Jones, Rod and Staff, Abeka, and Saxon. Mm-hmm. Those like it. Those are all still it. around and well loved by many people. And so my mom didn't have to think very hard. Like she just said, like this is all I've got, so we've got yeah. to roll with it. And now it's there's a, a lot of billion dollar industry. Oh, so and and there's there's little ones that people love. That's just somebody doing it out of their home. And there's the big like my father's world is a big Bob Jones, Saxon, Abeka. Those are big companies. And there's everywhere in between. And I know, not too many of my friends, but I know of homeschoolers that I follow who switch curricula several times a year, just midstream. That sounds so exhausting It to sounds me. expensive, too. It does sound expensive. There's a homeschool sale and swap, curriculum swap uh, Facebook page that I'm a part of, a local one. Mm. And the number of things that people post that they haven't used for sale is kind of crazy to me because I'm so cheap. I hate buying something and not using it. Are you getting are, like are they used deals or is it some like really like they're just trying to get retail for it since they never used it? Both. It's both. Oh. Or they're trying to you know they bought the book for twenty five and they're trying to get twenty out of it because they never used it and they're trying to at least recover some of the purchase price. Crazy. But. Uh, anyway, so that kind of leads into Anna asked if we would talk about why we homeschool for a little bit. Ah. And that kind of leads into that. Okay. Uh, Anna, here you go. Yeah. Uh, partly we homeschool because we want, 
I, I'm we gonna, can ski during the week. Well, yeah, <laughs> we can ski during the week. We can. Jr. is self-employed, and my job is our kids, and so and we have enough freedom that we can take our as we're doing in a couple of weeks. Take our family to Yosemite for two weeks during the middle of the school year. And last fall we went to. It was only I guess it was only two nights, but we went to the Black Hills and did Mount Rushmore with the family and we we doubles tower yeah we like the idea of being able to live not like there are homeschool families that live full-time in rvs and buses and things that's never going to be us because i'm too much of a homebody but the freedom to say get in the bus and go spend a couple of weeks in florida in the in the winter if we could find a place to park that would be bus friendly, you know, then so so for us, the freedom to and a little bit of is kind of a control freak thing. Like, I don't really like being told you need to be somewhere from eight o'clock till two thirty yeah. every day of the week for the next. You know, we have four kids, so it's more than 18 years of your life that you have your kids in school. And I realize some parents feel more freedom to pull their kids out and do fun things. But I'm also if I'm in a system where there are rules, I tend to be a rule follower. So I would struggle with just, I'm going to pull my kids out for a ski day or for a mental health day or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that we're in control of that schedule. Another reason that we decided to homeschool right away, we looked at some Christian school options in town. We, partly by commitment, wanting to instill in our kids a Christian worldview from the very get-go. But I'll be honest... That wasn't nearly as much of a motivator. a factor for us as it is for a lot of people. And we, I don't know what our public school system is like, but I know we have a lot of Christians in our public school system here in Billings still. And I think that our public school system isn't as far gone as some are. And so the concern about being able to correct whatever our kids are learning at school isn't as great for us as I think it is for some parents, but we did not live in a school district with a great school when we first had Titus starting school, and the we lived just beyond where the buses went because we were in this little neighborhood that was like a tack-on to the school district or to the zone for that particular school. So even at the time when Titus was starting school, I had two other ones at home. I would have had to drive to get him and back, and that would have been loading two others up in car seats, going to get them, and then going to get him during nap time um, for one or two extra kids. And, uh, And so the idea of keeping at home just for the sake of a family schedule was really appealing. Um, and also starting out with, I've, I've done enough reading that traditional school is not suited for little boys, for the way little boys learn, for the way little boys need to move their body. And Titus at that point, and he still is, is super active. He'll have trouble focusing on something, and I'll be like, go do laps in the yard. Go outside, run around, get some fresh air, throw a ball for the dog, and he clears his brain, he moves his body, and he can come back and focus a little bit better. And 
boys sitting in desks all day, for me, felt like a bit of a recipe for disaster with him, with a precocious kid who's either going to be angry and act out or be stifled and feel like a perpetual failure because he's always being corrected for just being a little boy. And obviously there are millions of kids in this country who work around that, but boys are falling further and further behind girls academically in our country. And as we fall behind other countries, we just are doing more of the same thing as though more of the same thing is going to work better. So we're going to do longer school hours. We're going to do less recess. We're going to, you know, make them do more math problems. We're going to send homework home and it's not working, but we keep digging our heels in more and more rather than giving boys as most boys need more movement, more fresh air, more kinesthetic and tactile learning experiences. And so wanting to homeschool, we, I mean, I was going to say we do what I consider to be a perfectly adequate education. I don't know if it is or not, because I don't do testing with my kids yet. But I mean, they're proficient readers. They're learning math, even if Titus struggles with his math a bit. He knows a ton of science stuff. He's, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's fine. He would be fine if he had to get put into a school classroom setting academically. He would be just fine. And uh, we we do school for max of about three hours a day. And I'm I was ambivalent. <clears throat> I wasn't ambivalent. I was I was passionate about getting a Christian education. I think there's something to be said for learning about all the world science, math, reading, exploration, the sciences, all of that stuff, creativity, uh, learning about all of that through a Christian lens, or at least having a, an, a pronounced or um, present understanding of looking at that through, and well, God created this world for us to explore. Mm-hmm. He created this world for us to learn from. He created these laws. He created these things. And so having that was was definitely a priority of mine, but... And I would add to that, doing it in a way that feels interesting to the kids. Yes. Because I was an excellent book learner growing up, and I was also very competitive. And so, book learning plus being competitive, if I could beat everyone else on a test or, uh, you know, excel academically, it didn't really matter if I wasn't actually understanding or enjoying what I was learning. So it wasn't till late college where things started clicking to me, where things like history were actually interesting. Right. And so that said, I left the decision primarily up to Molly, knowing that if we were going to homeschool, she was going to carry most of that burden. Yep. So I let you made the final call, and I said, I'll support whatever you want to do. That said, we moved to this house, and I think 80% of our property tax bill is the school district. So I'm like, <laughs> our, our new school that they levied a tax on. So I'm like, I just feel like I need to put the kids in just to take advantage but of Montana, <laughs> Montana just passed legislation requiring, uh, your old buddy Steve White kept track of this legislation, uh-huh. requiring public schools to allow pri- private, or not private, homeschool, primarily homeschool students to take advantage of things like ex- extracurricular activities. So we could 
hypothetically, and the reason that they they worked on this legislation, and I haven't read it closely, but the reason that they worked on this was because some schools were letting homeschool kids bop in for PE or for right. music lessons, things like that, which is fantastic. Some back before homeschool sports were big, a homeschool kid would go to like one class at the local high school and then participate in a cross country team or something. Mm -hmm. But that it was up to the principal or the deans of that school to make an individual choice rather than having the freedom to or homeschoolers having the freedom to say, look, the law's on our side. If we want to participate in this thing that our taxes are paying for, then you got you've got to let my kid into the band or onto the soccer team yeah, or I whatever just, it is. I don't, so, so there is, this if, sounds miserable putting our, putting our son into something like that and well, he has to meet friends. What do you do? Well, I'm homeschooled. He's not part of the class. He's not part of the group. Like that just sounds terrible. I don't know. I mean, I think that, yeah, it does, especially wow, it sounds terrible to you. You're an extrovert. To me, it sounds terrible no, as an introvert. Terrible. No, but I think like, I'm an extrovert, but I like to be part of the in crowd and you're automatically walking in as an outsider. I don't know. I mean, on the other hand, think how cool it would be to be like, you just come to school for PE and band. That's like, not cool. No, I, just, yeah, no, I don't know. No. I feel like it could be. No, I don't think there's, so. There's a kid, a number not of years ago, there was a kid who homeschooled, whose parents were in our small group, and he would go ride his bike from home, check himself into his elementary school, and literally just do PE and like band or something. And then check himself out and ride his bike home. <laughs> he loved it. He felt so cool having the freedom to show up. Everybody else had to be there all day. And he's the like, last nope, thing our child I'm just needs here for the good stuff is, is to feel better, to about, feel himself. better about himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, yeah, while you were talking, the other thing that I, um, just expanding on that, the idea of wanting our kids to enjoy learning and I feel like I wasted so much of my education growing up. And I don't know about elementary school and high school, but for sure my early years in college, I didn't appreciate the things that I was learning and being exposed to because I just hadn't developed a taste for them. So, for example, you guys, when I was pregnant with Lily, with our second kid, we went on a wine tasting tour with for my parents 30th wedding anniversary was it 30 or 40 because you're coming up they were married in 72 right. he was born in 12 40th their 40th anniversary so we went on this wine tasting tour in california and oregon with them and i was pregnant with lily obviously pregnant because we were there in the summer and she was born in October. Great time to go to Napa when you can't drink wine. Right. So I stood around watching everybody else sample all of these really nice wines and develop these tastes. And mm, yes, I can taste this in it. And I'm still like, I don't know, that $6 bottle or that box is okay by me because I've never developed that taste. Kind of the same thing with... with literature and art and things like that I never and it wasn't for want of exposure to them and my mom actually homeschooled me in junior high and I think worked hard to help me appreciate things that I just did not appreciate but for example my freshman year of college I had to read the Iliad for English class and I had this big thick Norton anthology I think I still have it and 
did not enjoy or appreciate it at all. We just read this year, this spring, Children's Homer, which is an abridged version, with the kids. And at the end of the Odyssey, our kids were literally, and I mean literally, on the edge of their seats with how is it going to end? Like, crazy. you know, the dog recognizes them and we're dog, recognizes Odysseus and we're dog lovers. And so that's great. And then the dog dies immediately after recognizing his master has been gone for 20 years. So that's sad. But this, this, the tension, the literary tension that they feel as this story just drags on and on. And Odysseus has to reveal himself slowly to person after person and plot how he's going to get rid of these the suitors that have taken over his house and are wasting his his money and his food. And anyway, I'm watching the kids and I'm like, I feel like, first of all, they'll remember a ton about the story that I didn't remember. And second of all, I feel like they'll have this great memory of reading it. And so the next time somebody says, you've got to study Homer, they'll be like, I had a really good experience with that. That was a great story. And, um, and so even like, maybe I'm not crushing it in every aspect of homeschooling, but I get enough wins like that where I'm like, I think that my goal of helping my kids find the world as an interesting place and not just be able to memorize and regurgitate facts, but actually learn. And, you know, in our, in our present economic world where it's going well i've always thought this but now that i'm thinking with with the way biden will possibly crush small businesses maybe not (laughs) but i've always kind of thought you know with the decentralization of things and the ability pre-covid the ability of some people to create their own jobs and to be their own bosses and to adapt in a way Mm. that a large business can't and now all of this, as I'm thinking, is like, okay, small businesses, they can adapt all they want, but in when the government shuts them down and lets Amazon take over the world, that doesn't do you much good. Um, and when the government requires you to pay your employees $15 an hour and you, you're barely making ends meet, that doesn't do you much good. But in an ideal world, in an ideal government regulation and tax environment... <laughs> I feel like rather than teaching kids, because the public education system in America was designed by industrialists who wanted, if you, and I'm getting this, you guys, from John Taylor Gatto, who was like a public, public educator of the year in New York State in the 1980s. And then he started writing books about how he believed the public education system was corrupt and damaging. Well, he says that public education in the United States was designed by industrialists who kind of wanted to crush the souls of their workers so that they were trained through all of their years of education to just do exactly what they're told, to not think, not process the whole Pink Floyd, you're just another brick in the wall. Hey, teacher, leave these kids alone. Um, You know, you you just do what you're told. Don't think about it too hard. You're trained in your one task and you go home at the end of the day being happy that you've done that one task which and is which was i mean at least in the in industrial early industrialized america was very much that's the way you did what you came to work you came to work work for the same company 
stayed there for years and mm-hmm. retired Major buttons. and went home. And I mean, early on, it wasn't that way. I mean, they, they had one-room schoolhouses back in the 1800s, right? You yeah. Know? And a lot of the earlier, early American frontier was, you know, you had to be kind of entrepreneurial if you didn't, you know, just to find a way to make a living. Right. Um, and I think that entrepreneurialism drove so much of America's success. Yeah. Uh, compared to the to the rest of the world well, because I know being, we were I, out forging doing new and interesting things yeah i mean i know i was homeschooled my entire life except for college i, I went to i went to college like a normal kid um dropped out for the most part took my ged sometime around my junior senior year of high school started going to co- started taking college courses failed every single college course i took but I think that was because I was working two full-time jobs at the same time I was trying to go to school. So that didn't work out so well. Uh, changed that. Ended up graduating with <clears throat> high honors um, from Moody. But one thing that struck me is how I didn't really enjoy the classroom education experience that much. I enjoyed the professors that brought something to the table. But the ones that simply taught out of the book, I'd sit there in class and be like, why am I here? No, wait, I know mm-hmm. why I'm here. I'm here because you give me some credit to my grade for just being here because you have to. Because if I could just read the book. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that came from that came from being homeschooled. I spent so much of my time. Nobody's, my mom's not teaching me anything. She's yeah. not necessarily bringing anything to the table. She's handing me curriculum and helping guide me where I'm supposed to go, but I'm doing most of the learning on my own. So when I sat down in a class and they just regurgitate from the book, I'm like, why am I even sitting here? This is a waste of my time, you know, um, or paying somebody to tell me what's in a book. Like yeah. that doesn't make any sense either. Um, but so I just, I look at my life now and so much of it is built and I realize this is not uh, strictly uh, an outcome of, of homeschooling, but um for me, so much of my life is built around applying myself and learning new tasks without having somebody over my head telling me to do it. Yeah. And that was very much homeschooling for me. My mom didn't, um, you know, sit over my head and slap my hand if I didn't do anything. So my motivation had to come from somewhere within. Um, but I spend so much of my time learning stuff, learning new things. And, I think a lot of people do that now too. You know, whatever form of research you take for starting out a new project or learning something new or watching YouTube or reading mm-hmm. a manual or, you know, just learning a new craft, you know, but and we're um, trying to model that for our kids too. Like we don't know how to renovate a bus. I don't know how to cover recover cushions, but nope. here I am with a YouTube tutorial yep. figuring it out. Yep. That all of those things said, I I feel like it's important to say, even though people always say this, that our decision to homeschool is unique to us. And obviously the, you know, we want to travel the country in a bus, playing a large part in it, hopefully communicates that we don't expect everybody that we know to follow the same path we follow and and sometimes i still wonder if it's if it's the best thing for you molly you never know (laughs) our our kids have uh our kids have good friends from godly homes in public school good friends from godly homes in christian schools 
and you know ultimately you you do your best and you trust your children to the lord for the outcomes because my goodness i went to hillsdale college and there were a lot of like 15 year old homeschoolers who would show up for their freshman year of college and they would oh there were always like maybe 10 or 15 who were too young to be at college every year and they would just go crazy i mean they could just in all the ways you can imagine like wild drinking and partying or nervous breakdown because they're too young to be in a college environment away from their parents and so homeschooling is no more a recipe for raising godly children than any of the other options that are available to us yeah. as long as you're you're a diligent I think it all comes down like parent. to me it th- it's far less how a child learns their academics than it is how you parent wherever you're at mm-hmm. like it all comes down to the parenting you can have you know a wildly gifted homeschool kid with terrible parents and you know he won't necessarily be any better or worse than you know a public school kid with a with a super attentive really wonderful parent you know like but how are you involved i mean for me it's like how am i involved in my kids' lives and do i uh do I involve them in just my daily life? Like, hey, I'm going out here to work. I'm going to the store. Who wants to come with me? I'm going out to do this. Who wants to come with us? Your grandpa and I are going to work on that. Either you guys want to come, you know, or like Titus. Titus, we're going to do this. You are coming. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. You need to come work a little bit. Yes. So, but it's 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 all, it's not, yeah, it's not the education. It's, and even to that extent, it's not the parenting either. It's just... As they say, the joke I used with homeschool, I I knew too many homeschool families who just, it was the chosen, God's chosen way to raise your child. And if you do this, your kids will turn out. Yeah, and and I'd turn around and go, yep, because the scriptures, because the Bible tells us that train up your child in the way they will go. Oh, no, wait, in the way they should, it says in the way they should go. You know, it's not the other way around. Don't get confused. Yeah, it's it's certainly not a formula guaranteeing godly kids, as nothing we do is. No. Even though we all want formulas. So, I finished reading the book of Daniel last week from my Bible reading. Got a break from the the major prophets, and now we're reading Thessalonians, which is kind of like... A nice breath of fresh air, even though it's interesting reading Thessalonians after Daniel because the there's a lot of prophecy about just people struggling to remain faithful in Daniel. And then you get to Thessalonians and there's all the – Paul's talking about when the Lord returns as well as all of the corruption and the unwise behavior that will – surround the confusion, the upside-downness that we feel very deeply right now in Thessalonians. So there's certainly, they pair well together, so to speak, Mm -hmm. like chocolate and red wine, I guess. They work well together. But um, in, it was interesting reading the book of Daniel, for some reason, the word wise kept sticking out to me at the very end of Daniel. And there's a lot of, like, I just did a search for wise in Daniel, um, 
none of the wicked shall understand what's going on, uh, but those who are wise will understand. Um, what else? Uh, the word wise is used four times in the last two chapters of Daniel. The wise will will be will um, understand what's going on. Well, the unwise will stumble. And then a couple of verses later, some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, mm-hmm. made white until the time of the end as they await for the appointed time. And then Daniel twelve three: those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn others to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And... I wondered if then I did a search for wise in the beginning of Daniel and I had assumed that the all the references to wise would be to Daniel to Shadrach Meshach and Abednego you know they mm-hmm. didn't eat the food that the king wanted them to eat and yet they were healthier and better and so they got promoted and and yet the word wise at least in the ESV refers to the king's wise men which are you it's used as a synonym to things like enchanters and so uh when he has these dreams or these visions none of the wise men enchanters magicians and astrologers can interpret but daniel can he's not referred to as wise though anywhere in the Mm. book of daniel so i thought that was kind of interesting um because i had assumed that maybe what i had been thinking was maybe the way that Daniel and his cohorts acted while they were in exile would be a paradigm or a model for how the wise should act in the end times exile that is prophesied at the end of Daniel. But that's maybe still true, but it's not It's not borne out in the use of... I was thinking, because, you know, sometimes... It, Biblical books are written as a chiasm, where what happens at the end is a mirror image of what happens at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to look it up, but it doesn't seem like Daniel is a chiasm, like I assumed. I, you know, I just finished reading <clears throat> my interesting Bible reading this last week. You know, I'm in, I, I just I'm in somewhere in the middle of Exodus thirty or something like that, and he's going through all. He's writing all of the Old Testament sacrifice laws, you know, for atonements for sins. And if you think about, I mean, I've had a couple thoughts. One is the holiness of God. Like, you don't you don't come near him or you, you die. And I know we've talked about that on the show before. Like, you just, you die. But he's also saying here, if you've sinned, if you've broken any one of these laws, you need to make atonement for that. And how many... And, we know now with the New Testament that the law was written so that it was actually impossible to keep. And I got to thinking, I'm like, wow, so... It wasn't it- written in a way that it would be impossible to keep. It was written to God's holy standard, which by definition is impossible. Right, fair. So, I, I mean, I want to make that distinction yes. because, you know, then people are going to call God out as being unfair. Like, why would God expect something of us that he knows we can't do? Right. Well, then I got to thinking, like, so so he's he's have all these Old Testaments, like, if you sin, if you break any of the laws, this is what you do. And I'm like, I look at myself and look at how much I sin every day. And I break, you know, 
either either something written in the Old Testament or I break one of God's moral laws or just understanding the depth of my own depravity and my own sin, then I'm like, man, I, I would run out of cows. Right. We I would, would run be out of flat, gold. broke, I would run out of sheep. I would run out of grain. And so I, I texted you that this morning and you're like, well, God made allowance for that. You can sacrifice a pigeon. I'd run out of pigeons. Right. <laughs> I'd, run out of, you know, I'd run out of everything. And then I thought, did they... Did the Israel did an individual Israelite family? Did they actually? Um, did they, they raised did they, animals just for sacrifice, right? But did they act if they ran out of something? Did they always atone for everything? Did they make a sacrifice for everything all the time? No. See, and so then, how does that reflect reflect with their relationship with God? Did God not? Well, it's, just, it's an interesting like yeah, thought I mean, process. Yeah, I, I mean, I I can't I can't off the top of my head think of specific things, but that's why there was a yearly calendar where they would bring their grain offerings at a certain time of year that were for a certain purpose, and the time of the Passover was at a certain time of year to sacrifice and atone for the big stuff and the they recognize god recognized that you can't atone for all the little stuff all the time which is why no only the high only the you know the guy chosen by lots could go into the holy of holies once a year and then they did all the extra purification and all the rest extra sacrifice for him to go in there and even with that they tied a rope around his feet and put a bell on it in case he was struck dead and they could just pull him out because nobody could go in there after him, you know, and then you defile the Holy of Holies with a dead body. But um, so so they recognized that there's these hidden sins that we can't fully atone for. And so there's the blanket sacrifice for all of Israel. And then there's the scapegoat that you put your sins on it and you send it outside of the camp. And there's all of these different ways. But it must have been just a wild thing to be a part of, like animals dying all the time. And then you read about when they so de- much blood when they dedicate the well, priests do nothing but disembowel animals all day. When they when they sacrificed, I can't remember the numbers again, but when they dedicated the temple, it was thousands, tens of thousands of animals who were sacrificed, and it's like the blood just poured out over the whole temple mount. There was so much blood. That is so. Crazy. Yeah, my, to the, my least, my least favorite part of hunting is gutting the animal. I cannot imagine, the, you know, being a modern day pastor. All I do is gut animals all day. That sounds terrible. <laughs> oh, I gotta sprinkle some over here. I gotta sprinkle some but, over here. But gotta take the. But fat it's not out a vocation you choose. It's when you're born. It's into. when you're called to. Yeah, you're not so, just called it. It's when you're born. Well, into. what what I thought. Well, also is interesting is the fact that there was even sacrifices made upon the people or the priests who sinned or the congregation as a whole, and so it made me wonder what the process was for early Israel to determine uh, when they realized they were in like communal sin as a, as a body. How did they get to that point? How did they recognize it? And then, of course, I started thinking about uh, contemporary church and when, when does a body recognize that they're in sin mm. and what kind of steps do they take to uh, acknowledge that 
confess that sin before God? And, you know, when, when does leadership, you know, when, when do they decide they've been in sin and they do So all these other, all these things running around, like I was looking at that parallel and I was kind of pondering that this morning too. And, you know, there's just so much, <laughs> I remember going, I remember getting my degree and thinking to myself, I just know so little. Like yeah. the more you study, the less you know. Well, in order to really know what the Bible says, now I got to know Greek and Latin, Hebrew, Hebrew, Latin. and in order to really know, you know, well, Aramaic and, and adding and adding on to that is is that you know when do you know you're in sin? Like the Book of James says, if someone is sick, have the elders lay hands on him, and you know, are you no, are you sick? Repent, like. So are you sick because you are sinning? And maybe that, you know, I mean, we have, with modern medicine, it's hard to wrap our brains around God makes some people sick because of their sin. And he will... It doesn't even occur to me. It doesn't even occur right, to me. Right, but it's in the Bible. And, um, you know, uh, is, I don't know. You know, is God not blessing certain things? Like sometimes you read... In, I can think of two, there's, I don't know if it's together for the gospel or where, but there's an article floating around about how some churches a couple of years ago decided to repent of their church's past racism, even though they, you know, they're, they're generations down the line, but because of the racism and the exclusion of black people that took place in their church bodies, mm-hmm. they chose to corporately like write a document of repentance and make a public statement or whatever they've done and they well people can bat around was that really necessary was that really helpful and all of these other questions the people who have done it claim that they feel like their churches are prospering and thriving more now that they have owned a past sin done by their covenant community Hmm. and are have publicly owned it and repented of it. And Rico Tice writes in his book on Faithful Leaders about a church where one of the staff members was like visiting massage parlors or something on the sly, and he had some sort of medical emergency and ended up in the hospital, and they tested him for STDs just as part of running the blood tests, mm-hmm. and they were like, you've got all sorts of STDs, and somehow they required him to tell... I don't know if it was a wife or a flatmate or something. And then it came out that he'd been living in this horrible sin for years. And the church had been trying to start, I don't know, like some new program. And it just failed and failed and failed and was totally baffling to them. Like they have godly people on board. They're doing everything wow. right. They're they're praying. And the program, as soon as this guy was removed from leadership, the program took off and thrived. And he was like, look... God will set his face against you if you have a secret sin and if you think that secret sin isn't going to affect other people you're wrong. That's super convicting on a personal level. It's like, you know, where you know, you just you constantly want to check yourself. Like I don't mm-hmm. nobody really wants to be There in that is position. no such thing as a secret sin. Fair. But you just, you constantly want to check yourself to know if, like, is it me? Am I causing this problem? Yeah. Is it, you know? Well, and then you also... Where am I sinning? Where have I not recognized that I'm sinning? Yeah, and then also thinking about us as the representative leaders 
of our children right now. You know, so we are this there, we're this small covenant community of our family, and God will God's uh, our, our children's ability to thrive in life the way God mm-hmm. intends children to thrive uh, will be affected by our sin, whether or not. It's an overt sin against them or a sin that obviously affects our family unit. Any sin that we are indulging is going to somehow infect our family unit and affect them and possibly then be a sickness of soul for generations when it's not... I know, it's... Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for from it flows the wellspring of life. It's like... Your your state of being, your sin, where you're at, what you know, has just so many ramifications across the board. Um, and yet, I'm going to try to pull up an article really quickly that I read for Canevox last night um, because it's sort of funny and helps us not to end on quite such a depressing note. <laughs> um, but um, sorry, it's my, my my Bible, my daily Bible reading in Exodus. Yeah, well, and then there's me and Ezekiel and Daniel. There's a lot of judgments on terrible people in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Such um, a wonderful time of life. Right. No, but, I mean, but, so we, but we recognize that we all live with this balance of sin and grace, right? Yeah. And we're all completely reliant on, on God's grace. And um, I read this, or we, we have this article, it's by a, an author named Jonathan Last, and it's called A Dad's Life. And he, uh, it's published in the Washington Examiner. I'll send JR the link to it right now before I forget. But he's talking about how he's trying to figure out what the essence of masculinity is. And he uh, cites Alexander Solzhenitsyn and how he, um, he stood up for what was right. And encouraged other people to stand up for what is right at great cost to himself. And that manliness is, um, his manliness was primarily exhibited in fighting for the soul of his fellow Russians to literally preserve their having a soul. And then he cites another man who was a retired Marine who, um, dove into the mess of uh, September 11th in New York City. And after official first responders were recall- were called out of the mess because the, it, it was deemed too dangerous, he and several other former Marines went through the rubble yelling, United States Marines, if you can hear us tap or yell. And they actually rescued the last survivors of the attack. Um uh, because they were so committed to the dignity of their fellow human's life. And so he says uh, manliness is, in its, in its good side, um, when it isn't becoming toxic and harmful to other people, is using strength in order to serve other people. But then he talks about how how fatherhood chisels away all of these extraneous parts of ourselves that we used to think were important and special and you know when you're 
you know, catching your child's puke in your hand in the store and, um, you know, forcing your, we have a friend whose kid got an upset stomach on a road trip and they ran, you know, kids having diarrhea and a porta potty on the side of the road or like a toddler potty over and over and they're not stopping in time and finally had to put the kid in baby sister's pull-ups because they ran out of clean clothes for him and you know and dad's the one who's doing all of this cleanup and stuff like it's a different kind of manliness than a marine rescuing people right but he's saying that that fatherhood is an incredibly refining thing and he says he was at like a dinner party or something and was telling his uh somebody that um fatherhood is like it's not like rocket science because it's not incredibly intellectually hard work it's more like hard work like digging a ditch anyone can dig a ditch there's really no way to dig smarter or faster having a baby is like being assigned to dig a ditch that goes all the way to the horizon and the friend's like okay so so being a dad is good right you're glad you did it and he's like sure like going to the dentist. Everyone dreads the dentist. It's no fun. But when you're 70 and you still have your teeth, you're glad you did. (laughs) And he turns to his wife and he's all happy with his explanation. And she's like, what do you just say? You just compared parenthood to ditch digging and going to the dentist. But then he says, at this point, I realized that maybe I was doing fatherhood wrong. But the good news for dads is it's a long game and you just get points for showing up. So, I mean, that it's not a Christian article, but to me, you know, you know the, yeah. the, all the sin that of our sin and our shortcomings. And when you're working in your office in the basement and you can hear me yelling at the kids mm-hmm. in the room above you, um, you know, the, the long game is another way of saying that God gives more grace. And we fortunately... The formula that we have of homeschooling our kids or whatever isn't going to make our kids turn out right, but the sins that we exhibit as we stumble through are not necessarily going to ruin our kids either, in both thinking that we're doing it right and knowing that we're doing it wrong, we end up being completely dependent on God's grace. Yeah, they have to be. And that sums up the whole conversation today really, really well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys would think we planned this. Nope. But we didn't. Nope, nope. And that's something I didn't say at the very beginning. You know, so if it's your first episode joining us, we don't plan our conversations in advance. They're just completely extemporaneous, spontaneous, whatever. Now, that said, this isn't the only... We Frequently, this is the longest section in our week. Longest time point the of longest- time in our week. Face-to-face conversation that we've had all week, you know, but in this case, um, we've been able to go at least on one date by ourselves, which has been a lot of fun. And you pontificated a lot about being in exile. Molly's been musing on that a whole ton. Maybe that'll be another another episode. So yeah, I didn't know where we'd go today, but that was in my in my mind. Yes. Anyway, guys, thank you for joining us. You can uh, email us at tb2f at pm.me. You can send us. A- <laughs> Guys, thank you for joining us. You can email us at tb2f at pm.me, or you can send me a text message at 406-318-7136. We did have quite a few messages this week, and I can't quite get through them all. A lot of them are repeat people. Um, 
guys, I love hearing from you. I love swapping texts and, um, you know, I've sent photos of hunting. I've sent photos of the bus. I've sent, cause people, you know, Camp, camper cushion, camper photos, cushion photos, Molly sent camper cushion photos. You can also reach out to us. Probably our number, our most active, uh, channel is our Instagram channel at too busy to flush. And, uh, so you can reach us out all there. Thank you for, thank you for giving us reviews on iTunes. Those are really helpful. We really appreciate those and, uh, especially sharing us with your friends. So if you've heard us, if you've been listening to us on, um, heard about us from the world and everything in it, that's awesome too. Uh, we're happy to support them and that'll continue for another couple of months. And then, um, I gotta, I gotta save money. (laughs) It's not the cheapest, (laughs) but I do, uh, I do like the fact that it goes to a good cause. So there's that. Um, That said, you can find uh, some of the links we mentioned in the show notes of the show. And I think that's all I have. Is there anything else you've got? Nothing happening? Nope. Not that I can make fast. Okay, cool. We're going to go have uh, Taco Tuesday. And uh, I'm going to take two of my kids to judo because one of them is uh, not feeling well today. So good times. Have a great week, guys. Check you later.